Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Corinthians 6. 2 Corinthians 6, verses 1 through 13. As you're opening up uh, there, I want to remind you, next Sunday is our church-wide Thanksgiving meal. And so one of the great things that we experience on that day is the smell of Thanksgiving wafting up into our nostrils here as we worship the Lord. And uh, it's one of those few Sundays of the year where I don't mind how long I preach because I know you're eating here. And uh, you don't have any other denominations to beat to the restaurants or whatever else. And so with food that good downstairs, you can handle another five minutes of sermon. And uh, it's such a wonderful thing. You see uh, that there's a little bit of a cost to that, but I promise you it's a deal. And, uh, and then there will also be some choir rehearsals next Sunday afternoon. I love this chance we get to get together and have Thanksgiving together as a church. I hope you'll make plans to stay next, next Sunday. If you're a guest with us, um, we'll be free lunch for you next Sunday. Please, we want you to be our guest and, and come uh, eat with us. So it should be, should be wonderful. If you have your Bibles open there, why don't you go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us, beginning in verse 1. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now... Now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. By great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, Labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying. And behold, we live as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. Let's pray together. Oh Lord our God, I pray that today, for someone in this room who needs you, today would be the day of salvation. Lord, let them know this is a favorable time. Put before them a clear path and grant them, God, an open heart. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I had run from the Lord long enough. And I've got one of those weird testimonies where God has been so gracious to me even in my years of running. Because my years when I refused to submit to Christ truly, I thought I was submitting to Christ. And so I ran from the Lord into the church. Uh, now I found there in, in my own heart the, the makings of a sort of legalism and Pharisaism that was rooted in self-righteousness and not the gospel. But there I was, I was an intern at a church, serving in ministry, believed that I was a Christian and yet had growing difficulties, doubts over my own salvation. And that night, God used a book I was reading and an offhanded comment by my friend to tear down the last defense I had against submitting to the Holy Spirit. And if you wanted to hear the full story, I would tell you, but for the sake of this evening, let me just say that I was in the car with my former youth pastor who had become my boss. He had gone to a new church, and I was interning at his church that summer. And we pulled up outside his house. I was a student at a Baptist college, a theology major, planning to go into ministry, serving a local church. And so he'd been my youth pastor, and he said, listen, man, here's what you need to do. It's what I would do now as a pastor if someone was making such a monumental decision. I, he, he said, Matt, you need to sit here. Until you're ready, go to bed. Pray tonight, read your Bible, wake up in the morning, and let's talk about this in the morning. If you really think that you need to become a Christian, it, God will be there tomorrow. And, and it was wise counsel, and I appreciate it, because here's a guy who, who might just be having a bad night and uh, needed to just be reminded of the Lord's salvation. I looked at my friend, and I said, you can go inside if you want to. That's fine. You go. But I just want you to know, I'm not leaving this car until I know Jesus. I was driving, and I, I, had, I held on to the steering wheel, and I, I held on to it so I wouldn't get out. I said, I'm not leaving this car until I know Christ, and I'd rather you be here with me than not when it happens. And sure enough, there, um, he didn't leave me in a sinner's prayer. I prayed and asked Jesus to save my soul. And the thing I care, things I cared about the most then were, what are people going to think when I go back to University of Mobile? What are people going to think when I go back to Boaz, go back to my home church, or whatever else? What are people going to think? Because I was known as a Christian, a good preacher boy Christian. I was known as a leader on campus in campus ministries. What were people going to think? And I'll never forget that moment after I let go of what people think, the freedom I experienced in knowing Jesus is enough. My name, who cares? My righteousness, who cares? Sick of running. Then, that was the favorable time. There was no time for me but that time. That, God put before me that night a clear path. Just an obvious, it was so clear to me, this is the path I must walk down, the path of faith. And God in that moment opened my heart that I could for once care about him more than I cared about me. And it was the most freeing moment of my life. I had run from the Lord for long enough. And even though it was running into the church, I am so thankful that God set before me a favorable time, 
a clear path, and an open heart. This morning, I want to talk to you about the posture of our hearts before God. We've talked a lot about the gospel. The passage we looked at last Sunday is one of the most clear presentations in all of Scripture of the mechanics of how we're saved. The internal workings of what God does to save us. And this week, I want to talk about the posture of our hearts to the gospel. Three reasons why you should respond to the gospel today. Now, some of you are believers. You say, oh boy, here's another evangelistic message that's not for me. But don't think for a moment, oh Christian. Don't think for a moment that once you've responded to the gospel for the first time, that that means it's the last time that you've responded to the gospel. Now, I'm not becoming some sort of rank Armenian, hardcore Armenian that believes you can lose your salvation today, right? That's not what I'm becoming on you here. What I'm saying is, I don't think you can lose your salvation, but the gospel applies to you every day. You, you respond as a believer to the gospel every day. You live out your life by grace through faith every day, trusting in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so whether you know Jesus or you don't know Jesus, today I want to show you the sort of posture of your heart that you should have as you respond to the gospel each and every day. And for those of you who don't know Jesus in the room, today I, I, I hope and pray that you would respond to the gospel for the first time. Three points this morning to help us show the posture of our hearts before God in the gospel. Here's the first. Respond to the gospel because today is a favorable time. Today is a favorable time. Verses 1 and 2. Working together with him then, Paul says. Back up. He talks about we are ambassadors for Christ. Verse 20. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And down into verse 1, Paul says, we are working together with God. He's talking about this ambassadorship that he has. And he says, we're working together with him then, appealing to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. In other words, I think this passage is meant for believers and unbelievers alike. Those who would receive the grace of God and those who have received the grace of God. Paul goes on, verse 2, For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Have you ever done the right thing at the wrong time? I have. Sometimes you've been too early, sometimes you've been too late, but we think a lot thinking about what the right time is. If you've got an iPhone now, you can put in your calendar what, where you've got to be at certain times, and it'll start telling you the right time to leave. Isn't that nice? I struggle with that sometimes. What's the right time to leave? Anybody struggle with that ever? I don't want to be a weirdo and get there so early. Everybody's like, what's Matt doing here, you know? Just doesn't have anything else to do. Uh, but then what happens is I think, man, I got an hour till I got to be there. I got plenty of time. And then what do you do? You say, man, I got an hour. That's all kinds of time. And you get sucked into something. Next thing you know, you're running late. Determining the right time is important. What makes today the favorable time? Why does the Bible have this sort of suite of language that 
that talks about today being the day of salvation. What, what makes today the right time? Let me just show you a few things as we consider a favorable time. What makes today the right time to respond to the gospel? First of all, Jesus is alive today. Jesus is alive today. In a favorable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I've helped you. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Therefore, today is the day of salvation. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That, that verse is, is tied to that passage about the stone that the builders rejected. That's not just talking. That language is not just talking about each new morning. It's talking about the new day that God has made for us in Christ. We, we embrace God today. Now is the favorable time. Today is the, 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 the day of salvation. Today is the right time because Jesus is alive right now. It's, it's not a day when Jesus wasn't alive. It's not a day when salvation is not offered to you. Christ is alive and He's waiting on you today. What makes today the right time? Simply Jesus is here and He's ready. I love to go on vacation. Anybody else like vacation? I love it. And there's a long-standing tradition in my family that no matter what day your vacation rental starts, so let's say it's starting on Saturday. We're going on vacation. We're supposed to leave on Saturday morning. Well, I get off work on Friday afternoon. Whitney gets off work Friday afternoon. So you know what we do? We go. That's what my dad does. Drives my mom crazy. Drives her nuts. She gets so mad about it. It don't matter. You know why? It's time. It's time to go. I'm off work. There's no work. Tomorrow's vacation. Why not? Let's start early. Here's reality. Jesus is alive, guys. Jesus is alive. The opportunity is there. Take it. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the favorable time. And another thing you need to recognize, not only is Jesus alive today, but the sobering reality for each and every one of us is this. Tomorrow is not promised. Tomorrow is not promised. Great hymn, Isaac Watts. Time, like an ever-rolling stream, bears all its sons away. Rooted in the 90th Psalm, O God, our help in ages past. Consider that reality. It's not fun or popular these days to think about death. We don't think about our mortality very often. In fact, it seems like every, every age decade has become the new 20s or the new 30s. It's your 60s or the new 40s or whatever else. And I get that. I want people to get as much out of life for all their life as possible. But tomorrow's not promised. I'm 34 years old. Tomorrow's not promised. Brothers and sisters, inevitably, we will meet God. Respond to the gospel because today is a favorable time and tomorrow is not promised. But finally, when we think about why today, why is now the favorable time. Let me say this. 
you've had enough time to figure out what doesn't work. You've had enough time to figure out whatever it is you're chasing, you're not catching. You've, you've figured out now that whatever it is you're scrambling after, you're never going to catch. And once you do, guess what? You're just going to be looking for something else. You've had enough time to figure out what doesn't work. What makes you think that one more dollar is going to do it? What, what makes you think one more accolade is going to do it? What makes me think one more great day as a pastor is going to satisfy me in the way I think it could satisfy me? Nothing but Jesus is enough. You've had enough time to figure out that what you're doing doesn't work. Today is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Run to Jesus. He's waiting on you even now. Now is a favorable time. But second of all, God has given you a clear path. Respond to the gospel because God gives you a clear path. There's so many things that frustrate me, not about Christ, not about Jesus, but there are things that frustrate me about Christians. Now, I love you guys. It's not going to be like Festivus today, you know. I've got a lot of problems with you people, and now you're going to hear about it. But I've got so, much, so many problems with people who claim to be Christians. Folks who preach a false gospel. Folks who are just downright sorry sometimes and claim the name of Jesus. People who use the name of Christ to manipulate, to further themselves. I've got so many frustrations with it. And perhaps there's some of you who are listening to me preach right now, and that's exactly why you're not a Christian. Because some jackleg preacher one time did something wrong to you or said something stupid that wasn't in line with the Bible, and it's turned you off. So who am I then to say to you who've been hurt by the Lord's church or have been hurt by someone or, or maybe you're mad at God? Who am I to say the path is clear? Who, who am I to say the path is clear? Well, let's let the Lord make an argument from His Word that there's a clear path before you. Let me just show you a few reasons why the path is clear. First of all, no man is in the way. No man, no man... No person, no human being is between you and God. The only person that's between you and God is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you may be frustrated with someone. Somebody may have hurt you. I've been so ashamed. So ashamed of the way that so many of our sister churches have handled the Sexual abuse crisis. I've been ashamed of it. But for every terrible example of a preacher of the gospel, and, and for every terrible example of a, a Christian and how they're behaving, I, I would argue there are 10, 20, 30, 50, 100, 1,000 examples of those who are being sustained daily by God's grace. Those who are doing things the right way. What does Paul say in verses 3 and 4? We, Paul says, 
put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, and so on the list goes. In other words, for every charlatan who's raising money for another airplane, there are hundreds of people who are faithfully plodding along and preaching the gospel. For every goofball who's trying to cover up and hide some scandal, there are other people who go in sackcloth and ashes before God over their own sins and their own heart. And beyond all that, why let man, why let any man, any person, any woman stand between you and God when the path between you and God is clear? why I've never understood people who don't like a preacher and quit going to church. There'll never be a moment in my life where I let a man stand between me and God. Don't do it. You don't have to like me to love Jesus. Praise God. That's a lot of weight for one person to bear. You don't have to like a preacher to love Jesus. You You don't have to have perfect preachers to believe the gospel's true. In fact, I look back and I think of so many people throughout my life who formed me spiritual, who I've since learned have feet of clay, are desperately flawed, and yet that doesn't mean Jesus isn't faithful. It means He's in the business of saving sinners. And even those who are saved can sometimes be really complicated. No man is in the way. But furthermore, suffering, suffering ought not to keep you from the path. Suffering is not a genuine obstacle. What does Paul say? Listen to what he says. The servants of God, verse 4, we commend ourselves in every way. How? By great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, Sleepless nights, hunger. So many people feel like because they're suffering in the world means we ought not to believe in God, it ought not to believe in Jesus. But here Paul is saying that myself and those who preach the gospel, Paul says, are going through suffering. In other words, the faithful endurance and suffering of Christians ought to clear the path for us. Paul, Paul's saying the gospel sustains him in all these different sorts of things. In, in the midst of all that he's going through, he, he throws a couple of words in there, calamities. What about beatings and imprisonments don't qualify as calamities already? What in addition to that do you need to say is a calamity? If I go to jail, brothers and sisters, that's calamitous. I'm just going to tell you. But, but Paul's got whole other categories besides these specific categories. But another thing he says, beatings, imprisonments, Riots, sleepless nights, hunger, and right in the middle of it, what does he say? Between riots and between sleepless nights, he says labors. In the midst of all this, he's still working. He's still doing what God called him to do, what God told him to do. It clears the path for us because we recognize there is suffering in the world, and so it ought to clear the path. But also the path is beautiful. Another reason the path is clear is because the path It's beautiful. Listen to what Paul says, verse 6. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, 
the Holy Spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, probably a a sword and a shield for, for defending and for attacking. Don't those things sound wonderful to a lost and dying world? To a culture in crisis, doesn't purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, love, my goodness, wouldn't we like to hear some truthful speech for once? Don't these things sound beautiful? Doesn't the path sound amazing? And just consider then, not just that, but the freedom we find in the gospel. Think about the things that can tear your heart down. Dishonor. We don't like to be dishonored in our world. Have you ever been slandered before? Have people ever said ugly things about you? It's hard. Untrue things. Have you ever felt like an imposter somewhere, like you didn't belong? Have you ever felt unknown and forgotten? You think about what these things, what these things can do to our hearts. And you think about all the, all the energy we're putting together as a society to make, it sure, make sure that people don't feel that way. And I think that's a good thing to do, to to make sure folks don't feel uncomfortable in certain situations. And yet we recognize no matter how hard we try, it will happen. Think about how bad it feels to feel like you're dying, to be punished, to be sorrowful, to be poor, to have nothing. These things are difficult. And yet see the freedom that Paul says the gospel gives us. Paul says when we are dishonored and slandered or even praised, we can handle it with grace and honor. Paul says when we feel like an imposter, Jesus says in him you are true. When we feel unknown and forgotten, Paul tells us that Jesus knows us well. You may feel like you're dying, but behold, Bible says, you live. You may be punished, but you're not killed. You may be sorrowful, yet you're always rejoicing. You may be poor, but through ministry you're making many rich. You may have nothing, but in Christ you possess everything. Brothers and sisters, there is a clear path before you, and the path is beautiful. It's beautiful. Why wait? Why wait to walk down the path when God has made it so clear and so beautiful? The path is wide open for you. Walk to Jesus. And finally, respond to the gospel with an open heart. Respond to the gospel with an open heart. We have a hard time opening our hearts and widening our hearts. One time we had somebody here asking for money, and I talked to him and said, look, we've got sort of a process you need to go through, and they were kind of upset with me. And so sometimes when somebody gets upset with me, you might have noticed I try to clear the air with a joke. And um, so they were kind of frustrated with me that we kind of had some standards for this. And so I said, listen, it's it's not that I don't trust you. It's that I don't trust anybody. And, uh, and they didn't think it was funny. So anyway, it didn't, it didn't work. But I think, that's our, I think that's our society, don't you? It's not that I don't trust you, it's that I don't trust anybody. I think we have a hard time opening our hearts. I, I think we have a hard time trusting. So I feel like I owe you an explanation for why I think you should open your heart to the Lord. Because anytime we open our hearts, we're putting ourselves out there. I, I recognize that. So I want to help you understand what the Bible teaches. What does Paul say? 
Paul says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. And, and here's the reality. The church isn't perfect, but here's the reality. There is an earnestness over the last 2,000 years to Christian preaching. There's an earnestness to the declaration of the gospel that says, our hearts are open to you. This is what we believe. This is who we are. We want you to know Jesus. And that ought to mean something to you. But what else does Paul say? Back up into verse 1. We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. It frames the discussion we're looking at. Another reason you should open your heart to God is because grace awaits you. You ever thought something and thought, I better not say that? People, people probably won't like me as much as they used to if I said what I really thought. I think we've all been there, right? We all have opinions like that. But guess what? You can trust Jesus. Grace awaits you. You can bring to Him your deepest, darkest secrets, and He will still love you. You can trust Jesus. And so many of us, we're learning, have opened our hearts to someone who took advantage of our hearts. We've opened our hearts to people who damaged our hearts. You know, every day I got three little kids in my house and I think, here they are, they know nothing but to open their little hearts to me and to my wife. What a responsibility that is. And some of you had an earthly father and an earthly mother who, who weren't careful with your heart. And you felt damaged since then and you don't want to open your heart to anyone. Some of you were open and honest with someone and you, you felt like grace wasn't there. But brothers and sisters, I want you to know you can trust Jesus. He already knows everything about you. That thing that you want no one to know, Jesus knows. That thing from your past that troubles you the most, Jesus knows. And he waits for you with open arms. Now, now, behold, now is the favorable time. Today is the day of salvation. But how could I go there, Brother Matt? Maybe today's the day, but how could I even get there? The pathway is clear. The only thing that's left is for you to open your heart, to widen your heart, to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. Grace awaits you. You can trust Jesus today. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ, today I, I want you to know it is the time. If you'll turn from your sins and repentance and turn to God in faith, today will be the day. He's waiting on you even now. And second of all, I, I want you to know the path is clear open your heart if you've already trusted Jesus you're a Christian you say pastor I just need to recalibrate the posture of my heart to be ready to receive the gospel every day this altar is open for you and I'd be happy to pray with you if you need someone to pray with you and finally you may be looking for a church home First Baptist Church Gaz is not a perfect church but I'm going to tell you something we are committed to loving you and helping you know Jesus more through the ministry of this church I'd love to talk to you today about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church of Gadsden. Today, 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 would you do the business with the Lord that He's calling you to? After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, our God.
Today we are so thankful for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, even now, I pray that you would move in our hearts to receive your word and be changed by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.